Owls, Sheffield Wednesday Through the Modern Era by you, Tom Whitworth. I ordered my copy from Leipzig. Do you know that your book was in Leipzig? It reached East Germany. Oh, wow, that's nice. Yeah, that's pretty good. I don't know how it got, but I suppose if you order online, it could go anywhere in the world. But are you aware of this book, which came out in 2016, again on pitch, being read as far afield as Asia or Australasia? Not that I'm particularly aware of, but I'd like to think it's uh, it's got round, hopefully, to some Wednesday fans. Is it? Has it been sold in the club shop as well? Yeah, it was. It was originally, yeah. Uh, the book came out in 2016, and the postscript just says, Sheffield Wednesday nil, Hull City won, always next year. Was it likely that you were going to go up? This was Diame, wasn't it, that final? Yes, yeah, he scored in that final 1-0. Yeah, I don't remember so, it being a particularly good game. Who was your 11? Um, that's a good question. Westwood? Westwood was, was there, yeah. Um, Lees, I can't quite remember actually. No, Forest who played Bannon, Lee, Wallace. Hooper, no, Hutchinson, Lovens. Right, yeah. yeah. Who was left back? It was Poodle. So that was a good side. That was a fun year, fun season. Yeah, and it is documented in Act 3 of this book. And Act 2 is just depressing. So I, God knows how it must have felt writing it. Did you physically feel the life drain out of your face when you were writing about the bad days? It was difficult to write about it because it was just one thing after another. And there were a few positive moments in between in terms of the football. But mostly it was just, as I said, one thing after another. Fairly bad things happening to the club. And it was... It seemed to go on forever. And the I, I spoke to some fans of Oldham, and they said that the moment things changed was when Mark Hughes scored against them in 1994, which started the downward trend. Was there a moment that definitively started the downward trend with Sheffield Wednesday? Because you were doing so well. You had Model, the Le Magicien. Uh, you had the Cup Final. I mean, was there a, a terrible moment? I think for me, I write about in this this in the book and sort of a, literally a tipping point was when uh, Di Canio pushed the referee over. That was kind of the beginning of the end for Wednesday in the Premier League, I thought. When got relegated the season after. This happened on my dad's 40th birthday, September 26, 1998. I didn't realise that Di Canio never played for Wednesday again. He got suspended... He just, I think he went to Italy and just never never came back to the club and was sold to West Ham and did really, and had a great time and was, was brilliant for West Ham. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was his last, his last game and his last moment for Wednesday. Uh, and yes, the, not that season, but the one after Sheffield Wednesday tumbled down from the Premier League and like Swindon and Oldham in football post-1992 have not come back up. And through your lifetime, you call it the modern era, but it is Sheffield Wednesday in the life of Tom Whitworth. Um, Although there is great background. I didn't know why Sheffield Wednesday were called the Owls. And uh, it's because the originally the club were associated with the Owlerton area. Yeah, so it's an an area of the city where they they moved into and and what is now Hillsborough, where they built the stadium. And... uh, yeah, I think that's where it where it came from. And I I will reiterate that after this show goes up, Sheffield Wednesday fans can watch uh, Dave Darren. Do you, do you know that Darren Moore is called Dave by fans of West Brom? I didn't know that. No. Yeah. So when I refer to Dave, 
Uh, I mean, Darren Moore, who is the manager of Sheffield Wednesday, who is the latest in a long line of managers uh, to take on the hot seat. Does that job appeal to you if you are offered manager of Sheffield Wednesday, uh, knowing what your predecessors have been through? Would you take it? I think it's a difficult job. I think that hopefully it would always be an appealing, always appealing to managers, but it it is so difficult over the years and... And there's not been that a lot of success for, for quite a few managers, and there's been there's been a lot of them over the years as well. Since particularly since we've got relegated from the Premier League, and particularly this season as well, third manager already. Yeah, it's very odd. Sheffield Wednesday have more managers than Watford have had this season. Watford Sheffield Wednesday is happening just over there. Uh, I live across the across town, but I can see Watford FC from my window. Were you at the Vic, the last game of the season, 2015? No, no, I wasn't for that one. Are you aware that Adi Nui is never going to get served in Watford, ever? Fair enough. I didn't know that, but yeah. No, because he, you know, he scored the goal that stopped Watford from winning the championship and instead became second to Bournemouth because we, it was 1-0 and people were trying to get on the pitch um, to celebrate the title. And then Sheffield Wednesday came back. Watford's links with Sheffield Wednesday over recent years have been very strange. We mentioned Danny Pudil, who uh, was at Watford. We saw the best of Alman Abdi. You didn't. I think it's the generous thing to say. Did you see any good of Al- Alman Abdi? Um, we, we barely saw him at all, is the, is the conclusion, I think. He seemed to be injured quite a lot and barely played. So, even though... We knew that he was good for, for Watford and he played a bit for Wednesday. Scored a really good goal at Nottingham Forest, I think. But he just barely, barely played, which was a shame because it was, I think we paid quite a bit of money for him. Mm-hmm. For which, thank you, it meant we could afford Isaac Success, who is still at the club. Isaac Success, I'm, he may well play this afternoon. Um, yeah, or... for a footballer. Well... It's almost anti-nominative determinism because he has been the flop. He's been the biggest flop of the Pozzo era, signed for about 12 million. He's hardly done a thing, but again, lots of injuries. 2012, I fondly remember Fernando Forestieri tripping over his own foot and getting sent off against Charlton before half-time. It was the best of Fessy. It was the worst of Fessy. You could tell that he was a, he's a player. He's not an elite player, but he's a very good footballer. And I'm glad he did good things in a blue and white striped shirt for you yeah it was it was really exciting when we signed him because I think he played quite well for Watford in the game or two that he played at Hillsborough against Wednesday I think it was when we were signing quite a few players that summer and that was probably later on in the summer it just seemed like a really good transfer quite an exciting player something a bit different up front but he was about 15-16 season he was really good and it was great to watch him it was just a bit some, something a bit different and and he, he really sort of seemed to connect with the supporters. It changed a little bit after that, but but yeah, it's certainly in the early days it was really nice. Anthony Clavain, good good get. An excellent, passionate and forensic account. Uh, Clavain saying nice things for a Leeds fan about Sheffield Wednesday. Had you read Anthony's books about Leeds and Yorkshire? Yeah, I've read Promised Land by Anthony, which was a great book. Um, about supporting Leeds um, 
and I think the Yorkshire book he wrote as well about Yorkshire sport was excellent. So he was um, he was a bit of an influence actually, Anthony, um, for the books he writes. I think I think they're really interesting. We're talking on the day that Jews around the world are supposed to burn their bread because we can't burn it tomorrow, which is the first night of Passover and also the Sabbath. Uh, And Anthony has written a book called Does Your Rabbi Know You're Here, which is about Jewish figures in English football, one of whom managed Sheffield Wednesday in the 1990s. Yeah, so is that David Pleat? Yeah, I didn't know whether you knew that. But yeah, David Pleat, um, who I imagine when you started going to football was the Sheffield Wednesday manager. Or did you catch the last of the Francis era? Yeah, it was probably probably more the Pleat um, time when Pleat was manager, yeah. And he did, he did quite well. He had one quite good season. I think there was 95-6 and then 96-7. One of them was one of them was quite a good season. That's all right. It's in the book, Owls, Sheffield Wednesday through the modern era. Do you want me to flick through uh, Flying High, Charterhouse and Shooting? Finishing 15th in 95-6. And then actually, there's a... Why am I doing that? There's a thing at the back. 7th. In 96-7. So that must have been a brilliant season when you did score goals. Just trying to remember some of the players then. That was probably Carboni was around that time, I think. Three million pound signing, Benito Carbone, who didn't speak a word of English. Yeah. No, but he was a good footballer. So yeah, one out of two isn't bad. Um, and then De Canio came in as well. But most of that team were decent pros. Did you gravitate to any of the decent pros? I guess people like John Sheridan were good. They were still, still around then. Um, I used to like Pressman, the keeper. He was a good keeper, I think, for the Premier League. Do you, David Hurst as well. Particularly. I've been told that if you were to pick an 11 of Sheffield Wednesday players, number one would be Roland Nilsson. Number two would be Roland Nilsson. Number three, four, five, six and seven and eight, David Hurst would be number nine. Uh, Roland Nilsson, who wanted to go back to Sweden in 93, uh, you write in the book, Owls. He was one of the, the first foreign players in the Premier League in 92. Yeah, played in the World Cup 94 as well for Sweden. Yeah. But he was, a great, he was just a great player and really loved by the fans, loved by the Wednesday fans. And that was a good chant that you were, you were saying then, that they used to sing about uh, Nilsson and David Hurst. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I got told that by John Dyson who has written a book about the horrible low ebb in the 1970s. And you can listen to that chat uh, on the Football Library amongst the um, reading the 92 section. His best 11 is as follows. This is from all time. Hodge, Nilsson, Lyons, Walker, Worthington, Spixley, Palmer, Sheridan, Waddle, Dooley and Hurst. How many of those players, obviously you've seen Sheffield Wednesday in the lower leagues now or the, the second and third tier, what would your 11 be? Probably wouldn't be too much different different uh, um, to that, I don't think. People like Pressman might be the keeper instead, or Westwood. I think the likes of Hurst and Dooley. Dooley's a legend for the club back in the day. Don Megson, probably, from the 60s. We've had some good players, so I'm not sure exactly what my 11 would be, but Nielsen would definitely be in there as well. Uh, let's name some of the best 11s from Sheffield Wednesday history. So, Cardiff, 2005, which must have been one of the happiest days of your existence, Tom Whitworth. Yeah, that was a good day. I think uh, Paul Sturrock had taken over and got us into the playoffs, played Hartlepool, and that, that was a great game. We were, lo- we were losing the game with not too long left, uh, and then we got a penalty, 
Steve McLean equalised and then we won in extra time. That was a great day. Some good players in that team, Chris Brunt, Glenn Whelan, Heckingbottom as well. Yep. McLean came off, off the bench. McGovern, it was a good team. What's the story of Lee Bullen playing in every position in one season? He played up front in his in his career, but when he was at Wednesday, he was mainly right-back or centre-back. But that season, for one reason or another, he played in every position, and including goal. So I think it was at Millwall where he needed to go and goal, where I guess the keeper had been sent off or injured or whatever. So yeah, he'd, uh, he'd sort of done, done every job for the team. Yeah, so I, I only know that, that was, because uh, Watford had a player called Steve Palmer, and uh, at one stage, he started the matching goal. Watford kicked the ball out from uh, from kickoff, and then he was replaced. So he did have the honour of playing every number. Uh, the centre backs in Cardiff were oh, but, well, Bullen would have been one. Okay, well, I've got Wood and Bruce. Okay, yeah. So Bruce, uh, Alex Bruce was right back probably, okay. and then it'd be Bullen and, and Richard Wood. That you've mentioned the two starlets who would go on to play international football, Whelan and Brunt. You've mentioned McGovern. Rockcastle uh, was in midfield with Whelan, and then it was uh, Brunt and McGovern, and then Quinn. Yep. And I can't remember. Oh, Pe- yeah, Peacock. Peacock, yes. Though that's the Cardiff 11 who gave Sheffield Wednesday fans one of the best days of the modern era. Uh, as documented in Owl's Sheffield Wednesday through the modern era, which starts, and I've, I've written about when modern football began. It could have began with Gaza's tears or with England losing to Hungary in the 1950s. Uh, but let's go back to 1991. I know this is before your time, but I'm sure you've got a video of the cup final of 1991. Yes. Who We've mentioned Roland Nilsson. Which former Watford manager and Sheffield Wednesday coach who also uh, manages in the championship, played centre-back? Pearson. Pearson. And who was next to him? Would it have been Shirtliff? Mm-hmm. And next to him? King. Yep. Chris Turner in goal, obviously. Uh, David Hurst up front. John Sheridan pulling the strings. A half a million pound signing from Forest Reserves. And then you have an American in midfield. Yeah, John Hawks. Yeah, and then Nigel Worthington. And you have two more players in that 11. Uh, Danny Wilson was the other midfielder and um, probably Paul Williams. Paul Williams. That is the 1991 Cup winning team. 30 years, more or less, to the week, I think. Have you just celebrated the anniversary? No, that passed me by, I think. It's been so long. (laughs) And Sheffield Wednesday, we should remind ourselves, played in the stadium, which is on the cover of When the Seagulls Follow the Trawler. Football in the 90s, which is Tom Whitworth's new book. Uh, Now, unfortunately, I have to turn to the crap bits. Why did it take 14 years for the misdeclaration of tax to come out? The 92 uh, nonsense. The journalist, the the gentleman who who wrote about it, I don't know how how that came about, but that's just how long it took for him to write about it, I guess for him to be, uh, be aware of it, and then he did those pieces. And what was the reaction among the fan base? I don't really remember at the time. I don't think, I don't think there was um, too much reaction, really. I think it was probably just put down as another one of those things that had happened in the past. So when when I was writing about it for the book, it was more that it was more sort of part of my research rather than I, re- I remember it actually um, being written about. Uh, do you know who Trevor Francis's mole was? Has that ever been revealed? 
Not that I'm aware of. It might have been, but not that I'm aware of. Which dressing room would it have come from? The foreign dressing room or the UK dressing room? I think that was probably a bit after Francis's uh, time, actually. I think that, that was like the development of the middle training ground, where I think that, that they just ended up with, with multiple dressing rooms rather than one. But I think that was uh, probably post, post-Francis, post yeah. so I'm not, not too sure who, who the mole could have been at all. Biggest load of rubbish. Name the player, Macedonian defender signed from Hajduk Split, originally set to join for one and three quarter million, but failed his medical. Uh, the transfer came through at three quarters of a million pounds. He played four times and was let go for nothing. Yeah, that was Sadlowski. That was an interesting one. Yep. That was a strange one. And fill in the missing name in this conversation that you have on page 132 with Paul Jewell. Who? He wasn't there when I was there. He was Australian. His first game was at Huddersfield. You know what? I do remember him now. That's how good he was, wasn't he? I can't remember a lot about him, to be honest. Yeah, that was uh, a defender from Derby, I think, called uh, Blatsis. Yeah, and yeah, Watford would have these players who'd come in for a couple of games and would disappear. This was one of many loanies. Terry Cook, Efanakoku, Marlon Beresford. Why did Sheffield Wednesday not have any money? We'd uh, probably spent a lot of money on wages through the years, through those years. Some of the debt was building up. We weren't spending loads, really, compared to a lot of the other Premier League clubs, but it seemed to be money that we didn't quite have, and the debt was building up, as I say. And that was combined with the price of the ticket being a bit steep. It had risen from, you said, from £7 at the beginning of the decade to £18. And that's not good for a city which, uh, in the 80s, one in six people were unemployed. Yeah, I think that, I guess, like, the ticket price theme comes back to the 90s book a little bit as well, which is that it was just a time where they just seemed to be increasing so much and so often, and it probably got away from a lot of fans um, and just became too expensive, particularly when you when you may be talking about um, a team that wasn't performing that well either. Did you notice that? Did you? I mean, Paul Jules said that there was a lack of belief. Did you notice this when you went to Hillsborough? I think the, the, the few years after getting relegated from the Premier League, they were really tough years because I guess you got some players who had been relegated with the club and then you got others coming in who, um, because of perhaps because of the finances, weren't certainly weren't Premier League standard and maybe weren't that good sort of first division standard either and mixing everybody together. And you could sense that, I mean, just because of the results and how the team was playing, but it just seemed like, it was sort of on top of everybody and there wasn't that much belief in, in never mind getting promoted again, but even just staying up. Well, that was combined with page 137, I'm treating it like a law case. Terry Yorath came in. In his first few games, Lloyd Awusu kept collapsing. He'd fall to the ground and throw up. Leon Knight couldn't hack it either. John Bedsworth... Oh, God. It's a northern John name. Bez, yeah, Bez Weatherick. That's a northern name. Club was just miles too big for him. So you've got a club going downwards, combined with players who remember the club from when they were a huge one. And then you're stuck in the middle watching Wednesday, as you say, and I'm not going to swear, um, you're 14. How the F did this happen? So you're immediately thrust in at the beginning of the book to the downward spiral. Yeah, it was, it was difficult. It was... Um... 
it did seem, like you said, a spiral of just um, one thing after another and just not a, f- a few bits of success, a few seasons of success. They just weren't doing very well, particularly since they, they fell out of the Premier League. And it seemed to go on forever. And indeed it has, 20 years hence. Our club is meant to be a thing of good, meant to be there for you, just as you are there for it, giving you happiness and memorable times. But it tests you, our club, puts you right through it. Now, you use a second person narrative to launch you into the book. Where did you get that from? Why did you choose to start with that rather than a third person retelling of it? Uh, I think I just use that style just so I could briefly briefly use it. But then also, but like you said, to kind of... Um, just get the book going quite quickly, if I could, really. Just sort of set the scene before the, the main introduction and uh, historical part. It was just to get it going. And it succeeds because, it's, as you know, it's very rare to see anything written in the second person. Now, what connects Sheffield Wednesday Football Club and the England World Cup bid? Sorry, yeah, so Wednesday um, might have been part of that, I guess, for, for a developed um, stadium. Had, had England been successful in that bid, we, Wednesday could well have hosted some games. And who would have, who would have been there at that match? Which historical figure? He is the man that Marina Hyde said his rise defies logic. I'm sure you know who that... Um, the former chairman of, the, of Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, yes, very wise. Uh, and you've... Uh, I, sometimes on this show I say we're not going to mention this person or this football club uh, it got so bad do you remember the furore when four MPs including David Blunkett wanted him to resign as chairman I don't necessarily remember it but in the research there was a lot of there was a lot of information there and that was for Danny Wilson when Danny Wilson was manager and I think that that was quite controversial because uh, I think you got supporters of the club um speaking as supporters but um but also i think uh, the the things that danny wilson said after that was that maybe it wasn't too helpful for him and the job he was trying to do at the time so it was a little bit um yeah a little bit controversial at the time sort of 99 probably mm-hmm. that was but there's just a pattern of mismanagement here and also just not taking care of the employees um one Trevor Francis, who made his Nottingham Forest debut, I think, in the FA Cup final one year, or was it the European Cup? He was sacked on FA Cup final day. David Pleat was fired over the phone. Uh, they didn't want to insert a break clause into Gerard Houllier's contract, so he didn't go to Wednesday. Uh, and then, of course, there's the Ron, second spell of Big Ron, which doesn't come off very well. Um, did you have a Barmy Army car sticker? I don't think so, but I can remember them, and I tried to get one as well uh, when I was writing the book. But uh, I was trying to see, you know, if anyone can remember them. But they were quite good, actually. I think it was from the, the newspaper that made them. And the, the kerfuffle came because Atkinson had left. He'd gone to Villa in the early. No, he hadn't. Had he gone to Villa in the early nineties? Spurned Wednesday. And then the board sacked Atkinson. And there's this page has three big question marks. And no one quite knows why Ron Atkinson was fired. Yeah, um, I, think that, I think that's it's one of them stories where maybe not everyone sort of knows exactly what happened. But some people might have said because it was uh, how the, that season ended. And Wednesday might have uh, finished that season a little bit better. Also, maybe planning for the future a bit more with the 
with the plan to get Danny Wilson in from Barnsley and he was doing he got a promotion with Barnsley. But then then maybe maybe as well it was looking back to, to ninety two and what what happened there, but I don't think anybody really knows about that. But it was uh, Atkinson's departure then wasn't the best thing, I think. It would have been Wednesday might not have got relegated in my opinion had he not left the club when he did the second time. Yeah, so that's another one of those moments. And also just reading uh, it's the chapter is Anatomy of a Fall, which is the anthology worthy chapter in this book, Owls. Talking about Gerard Hulier, the recently deceased Hulier, uh, who was approached and he was one of the managers who turned you down. And it's just horrible, horrible mismanagement of the well, do you remember on page eighty five, finish uh complete the sentence. With the new £17 million pot of cash from the shares sale and a mission to grow Sheffield Wednesday... Right, you wrote the football club and you struck a line through football club and put the business got spending. And that is the most telling chapter of the book because only a Sheffield Wednesday fan could write that sentence. And it just... At that time, Watford were... Graham Taylor was back and we were rising through the divisions. Premier League Sheffield Wednesday with this share scheme... That uh, did you have a share? Were you part of? Did you have a share in Wednesday? No, I didn't actually, and I don't think too many supporters did buy that many shares actually out of that. I think it was Charterhouse ended up buying a lot more than they thought they were going to as well. So it wasn't really that popular. And it's just it's rubbish. And having got bored of the Alan Sugar Terry Venables nonsense because that that's not a good book. Venables is score setting book in the nineties. Half of it is I'm great as a manager and the second half is I'm not great as a businessman. But this um, David Conn, I imagine, will have um, taken some pride in you because there's a lot of boardroom machinations and share certificates and what is it, non-voting shares. It's as interesting what goes on in the boardroom as what goes on on the pitch. Were you drawn to it as you were researching it? I think that it was just a case of that's what was happening, so that's what I felt like I had to write about, and I thought it was important to the story. I'm sure that what happens away from the pitch, i.e. the running of football clubs, affects what what happens on the pitch, and I certainly felt like I've seen that at Wednesday over the years. A lot of it was quite boring, I think, some of the share stuff, but I think it was important to kind of... um, write about it and just sort of um, try to explain what was happening and, and to get my, my head around it as well, myself. Is that why you dotted Pete McKee's cartoons throughout the book for some comic relief? Yeah, well, I think they were really good. So Pete's um, like a well-known artist in Sheffield, but he used to do these cartoons about Wednesday and United, I think, for the paper. But yeah, I tried to keep... Um, including them, because I, I just think they're funny, some of them. There was, there was some, the further back you go, the funnier they get, I think, from Pete. They were wry. Um, and just what struck me throughout the second act of the book, because it's split into three acts, it is really uh, rise, fall, partial rise, is that it's really just a book about money. I know Yorkshire is the county of the tight ham-fistedness, but... Eric Taylor in the 60s wouldn't invest. Burt McGee, you say, kept the net spend down in the 80s. And then the 90s, just this debt. And do you remember, what, at what stage did you think maybe it's a good idea in the appendix to put in, one, the statistics about turnover, profit and loss, and then, two, 
Uh, you've got league tier based against uh, year, and then you've chronicled the debt and the league position. It was something that I was referring to as I was writing. So, but towards the end, I just thought it'd be useful as a useful reference at the end for people to just kind of catch up on where the club was and what the finances were like. But I think that the graph, which basically shows the more debt the club had at any one time, the sort of further down the league or leagues that they were. And sometimes having debt is not a bad thing, but like our, our debt was because we were making losses and building up that debt. I guess it kind of summarised this whole modern era that I've written about. Yeah, Sheffield Wednesday were not the only club to have had an IT have to have overspent and then had to pay back the debt throughout the ITV digital collapse. And there are yeah, it's scary for about nine years. And you document this. Um, there's a couple of figures: Lee Strafford and Milan Mandaric. They're the guys who saved Sheffield Wednesday from themselves. Can you sum up in about thirty seconds? this Lee Strafford chapter? Yeah, so Lee, Lee's a, a Wednesday fan um, who built a successful business in the city and he became chairman uh, whilst we were in the championship and he just um, set about trying to change the way that the club operated and, and looked outwards, I guess, and helped trying to get some investment into the club. So that was Lee and I spent a lot of time with him when I was writing the book and he's, he was really helpful. And then Milan came a few years later. In between was Howard Wilkinson as chairman. And Milan basically took over the club, bought the club, and sort of steadied the ship, as it were. The exact same thing happened at Watford. Um, iffy owners who took each other to court, and Graham Taylor was strong-armed in saying, look, we need you here. You're the only person who can sort this. You'll be installed as the interim chairman. Um, and it got Watford in a position where Bazzini could then sell to the Pozzos. Uh, your Pozzo figure is the chap who has just hired Dave, Darren Moore. If you were to update Owls, how would Mr... I'm going to get... Chansiri come out? When I finished the book, that was the sort of 2015-16 season where we got to Wembley and there was a lot of... Uh, I, was, I was, you know, people feeling positive about where the club might be going and hopefully getting back to the Premier League. And it's not really quite turned out like that. And I think there's a, there's a lot, a bit of controversy, you could say, to say the least at the moment, with how the club's been run and how the supporters are feeling, not least because we might be, we are in a relegation battle. We have had a points deduction this season as well. It's not that harmonious, I would say. So you're, aside from Wickham, uh, you're the strugglers and obviously Rotherham have played four games fewer. But we're, again, we're talking on the 26th of March. It's the week before Watford plays Sheffield Wednesday. What would you change about the current team? If you were Darren Moore, if you were his assistant, uh, what would you tell him to do? Maybe to play the Wednesday way? We played quite well when we beat Barnsley at the weekend. So I'm not quite sure what the Wednesday way is nowadays. But um, I don't know what I'd say, say to him, to be honest, just... Whatever you can do to get these points to keep us up, if we can somehow stay up and build from that, that would be a brilliant achievement. Aren't the players, much like a lot of clubs, aren't they just sick of the revolving door manager situation? I I can't imagine they reacted well to Tony Pulis, which is why he didn't last so long. There's a lot of uncertainty when when there are so many different managers, as you said, and I'm not sure what that, that must be like for a footballer. 
to sort of know where you stand and whether you're going to be playing and what's going to happen from one week to the next. Are there any youngsters coming through? God, who was the last big youth product from Wednesday? I guess we've had a few over the years. Liam Palmer's been mm-hmm. playing for the club for a long time. Um, there was George Hurst, who was a bit of a prospect, but he left a few years ago. Uh, there's um, Shaw, who's going to Celtic, who's sort of emerged this season, but has already signed for Celtic for next season. So there have been some good players. The two keepers as well, Dawson and Wildsmith, pretty decent keepers. So there's been a few, but... Um, not not too many, I suppose, compared to, say, Sheffield United, who have produced a lot of players over the years, yeah. over recent years. Yeah, I'm just trying to see if next season you can blood some of these youngsters. Because it's Yorkshire. Uh, Jamie Vardy is not far away. He could have been at Wednesday at one point. He was sort of in his younger days, and then he left. So, uh, yeah, there's some good players from, from uh, Sheffield and Yorkshire, definitely. And that, that might form some of our team for next season, hopefully. Yeah, and whether you're in the second tier or the third tier, you'll keep hold of Darren Moore because obviously Chancery uh, gave him a contract that meant he could leave Doncaster in the middle of their season. So doesn't that speak volumes about how dedicated Moore is to the cause, albeit he didn't move house because Rotherham and Sheffield are very close by. Doncaster and Sheffield are very close by. Yeah, I think it's... I think it's um... A positive move for him, definitely. And uh, he was doing very well at Doncaster. And hopefully they'll do well for us. I think that we just need a manager to stay for a little while, I think, and just try and start building a team properly. Yeah, they say that every time. But this one's the winner. One thing's for sure, over the last 90 minutes, I don't think you are scum or a cretin. (laughs) Thanks very much. (laughs) (laughs) And you'll have to read this. This is the first time I've looked at a court case from the Queen's Bench Division uh, in research for a football library visit. Uh, This is the the ludicrous story about Nigel Short, who... Have you spoken to him recently? We catch up every now and then, so it's uh, not for a a while, I suppose. But you wouldn't be expecting to write about that for a football book, I suppose you would say, what happened there. Yeah, I mean, only, only Sheffield Wednesday could have a book written about them where the board takes the fans to court. That is how wretched it was. And were you in League One at the time? Yeah, I think we would have been then. Yeah, a distraction, some might say. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you're sort of flatlining Sheffield Wednesday, and I've been to Hillsborough, I've been to Sheffield. It is one of my favourite cities. The Peace Gardens are one of my favourite places in the world. Yeah, it's lovely, yeah. And my last question is, what brought you back to Sheffield? Because having lived in Manchester, did you move back for work or family? I think I've been in Manchester for a few years and I just wanted to come back. So, yeah, a lot of my mates still here and and whatnot and family. So, yeah, just wanted to come back. Yes, you do live in Sheffield next to one of its five rivers. Which one? Uh, River Don. Oh, of course, the big one. Yeah, that that, um, that goes past Hillsborough as well, further up. Isn't there a bridge? There's a little footbridge and there's a memorial to the Hillsborough disaster, which we haven't talked about, but it is mentioned uh, in Owls, um, Sheffield Wednesday through the modern era. But I I remember walking over a footbridge. Is that the Don that you walk over? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And that's the bridge to the South Stand. Yeah. Sort of the main entrance of of the club. Uh, Hopefully it'll play maybe not Premier League football. I think probably decent championship football is the goal. Uh, and we have some decent championship football to watch this afternoon. Uh, prediction? 
I think maybe we'll get a draw. That would be nice. I think we could we could do it. Well, yeah, you did in 2015 in this fixture. That was the last time we hosted Sheffield Wednesday at the Vic. So six years on, hopefully we can hold on to a lead today. Um, And then after the game, please order um, When the Seagulls Follow the Trawler. Football in the 90s, priced at 12.99 or cheaper if you know where to go. Uh, And it's yeah, it's a very, very good book. I'll give this to my young cousin because it just feels like ancient history now. I mean, uh, it's 30 years since the Premier League was announced. Does it feel like 30 years? Uh, no, it doesn't. It doesn't to me. But yeah, that's, that's quite a long time now. It is horrible. And I hope you have a, a decent idea for a third book. You do get your football library card, so you're welcome to visit any time. And the two books will go on the shelves. So, Tom Whitworth, thank you so much. Have a very safe and great Easter weekend. And let's hope at least three points for the Owls. <laughs> Just like the library, just like the library, just like the library. Shh.